Well, good morning. Let's uh, let's get going here. I'm glad everyone can make it. Welcome to week number four of Colossians. Let's uh, pray before we get started. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for the day, and we thank you for your gift of wisdom in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for uh, your letter to the Colossians and that we see the supremacy of your, of your Son in all things. Lord, I pray that today as we look at the supremacy of the work of Christ, that we would uh, be humbled and our hearts would be uplifted and we would worship you in all we do. Lord, I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning again. Colossians, is a, uh, as we've been studying, is a letter to the, to the people of Colossae, a small town in the, Ly- in the Lycus Valley, somewhere around, oh, the early 60s uh, in, this, in this common era with the year of our Lord. But uh, the book of Colossians, Paul was the author, and the Colossians were the recipients we think that a young man named Timothy wrote on behalf of Paul, and we know that the uh, their, the friend or the maybe the pastor of the Colossians uh, was a papyrus, and he brought Paul a message, and Paul was concerned with what he heard that the Colossians were were slipping, they were succumbing to some false teachings, and he had concern for them, and he wanted to write to them a letter establishing the true gospel the truth, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Remember that it is a, this is an epistle. An epistle is a letter. It's communication. It's written by an, in, by an emissary on behalf of an authority. The message, conveying the, authority, the message conveys the authority, not of the author, but of the one to whom the author speaks on behalf of. Okay? That's an epistle. It's in some ways unique to the New Testament. So, the Colossians. The letter to the Colossians is an epistle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the authority, right? Those in Colossae with with Timothy. So today's, uh, uh, we're going to go through verses 21 through 23. Last week, you know, we cut the class in half. We, uh, We stayed with verses 15 through 20. We see that the message of Colossians is twofold, is what we're, going after as we go through it. The truth of the premise of Jesus Christ and all things must be proclaimed by God's people to all nations. Again, the supremacy of Jesus Christ is where our focus is. And we are to proclaim it. Not only we proclaim it with our word, proclaiming the gospel, we are to proclaim it by what we practice. For God's people are to basically practice the supremacy of Christ in all that we do. It is affect all that we are and all that we do in both our work, our family, and our play the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ is all and in all. That's the focus, Jesus Christ. Uh, you see the chart, that I somewhat I use it to help us get our, uh, our mind around the flow of the book. We are down here where it says week 3. needs to have a little slash. And we saw that last week we looked at the preeminence of Christ as a person. And this week we're going to look at the, uh, the premise of Christ and His work, the hope of the gospel, 
but we're going to cut that there, and then next week we'll move on to Paul's uh, proclamation of his struggle uh, for the gospel and for the Colossians and his service to them. Paul is fighting error. The error he's fighting is that the material is evil, the spiritual is good. Christ couldn't come with a body because we all know that all evil comes from the body, is what the false teachers are saying. Therefore, Christ had to be some kind of emanating spirit, right? And they were getting caught up in an asceticism, which was uh, causing the body to suffer or harshness to the body so they could reach a different spiritual plane. There was hidden wisdom. You had to know a little secret. You'd be part of the club. We think that's what Paul was writing to fight against. We don't know exactly the heirs. Okay? And I think that is good because we aren't up against exactly the heirs, exactly the heirs that the Colossians were. Okay? We come up against other heresies. We come up against other problems. But the answer is always the same. The supremacy of Jesus Christ is sufficient. It is sufficient for correcting false teaching. It is sufficient for correcting false practice. Okay? The sufficiency and the primacy of the, the, the primacy or the preeminence of Jesus Christ. So, how do we guard against error? How do we answer rightly for our faith? How do we live rightly in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex? We do so with a correct Christology, a correct understanding of Christ, and with that, we can live out. Jesus Christ is the first, he is the first being. He is the preeminent being. He is the source of all things. He is the very image of the invisible God. This is verses 15 through 20 from last week. Last week we talked about that perhaps even in the Old Testament that every visible manifestation of Yahweh was probably the second person of the Godhead. Okay? So when they saw the angel of the Lord, when they saw a, a, a being like something in heaven that they couldn't just describe, what they were seeing is the pre-incarnate Christ. In Him, all things hold together. Right? In Him, all things... He is the image of God, in Him all things hold together. We saw Psalm 75, verse 3, said it this way, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants with it, it is I, says Yahweh, who steady its pillars. Right? In Him all things hold together. So when we see out there the world tottering, when we see politics and wars, when we hear people crying that the world's going to overheat or some asteroids going to take us out or people are running around trembling folks jesus christ says i'm holding this thing together this game is going to go until i finish it because he created it he is over it he transcends it he is the character he is the image of god we come to this week paul's pronouncement the preeminence of christ Christ is preeminent in His pre-existence. He is before time. Christ is preeminent in this time and space creation now. And He is preeminent over His body, the church as head. A church shall proclaim and exalt His preeminence into eternity. So all of time, all that there is, will proclaim the preeminence of Jesus Christ. We saw last week that Christ... Uh, in his death, reconciled all creation to himself. Right? That's, that was the right in there. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
Then we went to Romans 8. Okay, and we looked at Romans 8, verses 19 through 23, 22, and it says that the whole creation groans in eager expectation, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And we came to understand that what Christ accomplished on the cross in actuality, there is a future realization of that. So yes, right now, He has done everything to reconcile everything that is in heaven and earth, all the creation. But there is a future, a future where it will all come into reality. The future shalom, right, or the peace of the Old Testament is attained now by His cross. It is to be realized in the future. We have that already not yet tension that we live with as believers. Okay? This week, what I want to do is I want to look at, right now, this reconciling to Himself all things. I want to look at how it takes place within a special group of people, the church. Okay? So let's read verses 15 or 21 through 23. The hope of the gospel is the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation of all things. Okay? Summary statement for our, for our verses. The hope of the gospel is the supremacy of Christ and the reconciliation of all things. Last week, see, he reconciled himself all things. This week, right here. And you, verse 21, and you who were once, or who once were alienated and hostile minds, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death. In order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach, where? Before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which, ha- which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and in which I, Paul, became a minister. The focus of today's passage is reconciliation. Okay? Reconciliation is one of the aspects of salvation. Okay, is an aspect of salvation. Salvation, so, salvation is like a cut jewel. It's like a diamond, right? And there are different words, there are different aspects, like there are different facets of the diamond. All those facets glitter and display the glory of the diamond. But all in together encompass, you know, summarize a jewel, okay? The facet that we're looking at today is reconciliation. But what I want to do is just stop down for a minute and I want to look at maybe some of the other, some of the other words that I came up with looking through Scripture. And I'm, I'm going to jot down a couple. No, I'm going to jot one, and there may be more, but we're going to deal with the ones I came up with because that's what my notes are. Okay, but we can. All right, we have reconciliation. That's today. But first, there's the aspect of what forgiven, right? Forgiven. We are adopted. Born again? What's another word for born again? Anyone think of one? New creation, new birth, regenerated. Right, those are all words for born again. New birth, regeneration. Um, Redeemed. Redeemed. When we say we have been redeemed, well, we're saying we've been saved. Right? What's another word? 
reunite. I'm going to say that we're, that's, going to be, that's going to be brought up into the adopted or the born again. Or maybe more importantly, I think we're going to see that the idea of reunite is in reconciliation. Okay? Sanctified, right? We are sanctified. We are being sanctified and we will be sanctified. So we're saying we are sanctified in Christ. That means we're saved. Then today, oh, what's the big legal one of Paul in Romans 9, right? Justified, right? Justified. And today we'll deal with reconciliation. But what I want to do is I want to look at the different ones. Forgiven. What's forgiven in? Forgiven is what? A free forgiveness of debt, right? It's a release from an obligation. When we think of a debt, there's what two kinds of, can you think of two kinds of debt? What's the first one we think of when we go, uh, usually around the first of the month, we think of a, a certain aspect of debt, right? Yeah, we think of financial debt, right? There's a, there's a debt, we got a, we got a payment we got to do, right? We also have what, uh, there's also a sense of a moral debt. We come up short. So there's, there's, a, there's a moral debt that we, that we have also. And who's the moral debt to? Since of Christ or to God, right? Yahweh. We come up short. Our debt is forgiven based on Christ's forgiveness. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, right? Christ paid our debt. We are forgiven on behalf of Christ's work. So that's an aspect of salvation. Adopted. Adopted. What's, what's, the, what's the idea of adoption? We are adopted as a what? We are called sons of God, right? Once we weren't in the family. Christ, the firstborn, the son of God, died. And because of that, we've been adopted into God's family, right? And because he is an heir, we are what? Heirs with him, right? So it's it's an issue of, so the status change there is, once you weren't a part of the family of God, now you are the part of the family of God, right? Who used to be our father? Your father, the devil. He's a liar. He's a murderer. Who is our father now? God, right? We've been adopted into the family of God. Let's say family, right? Uh, in, uh, let's say debt. There's maybe a word to think there. That our status of debtedness changed. Our status of, status of family changed. Born again. So if we've been born again, what were we before we were born again? We were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once lived, right? But no, we've been made alive. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has what? Given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been birthed anew. Ephesians 2 speaks of that. What's the picture of new birth? Think of, a, think of an incident in John, John 11. Lazarus, perfect picture of salvation. Lazarus dead. Not only was he dead, he what? He stank, right? And Jesus said what? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth. Lazarus was physically born again. Okay, that's a picture of what happens to us in salvation. So I'm going to say born again is a, is a change in status of life. Okay, what's it? Basically, we're, we're looking at salvation as a status change. Redeemed. Redeemed. What is that speaking of? 
Bought back. What are we bought from? Slave market of sin, right? We have been redeemed from the slave market of sin. It is a so when we're redeemed, we are what? If we're talking slave market, we are paid for. We are owned. Okay. That's not, we're not like bought and yes, we're freed, but we're free in who? Free in Christ, right? New ownership. We're slaves to Christ. That's a good thing, right? Right? Because in Him there is freedom, right? Before we were slaves to sin, slaves to death, sl- slaves to the devil, right? We could do nothing to please God. He bought us. He, what was the purchase price? Christ's blood on the cross, right? You've been purchased by His blood. So here it's a status change in what? Ownership. Sanctified. We've, we've talked about that. Who is this letter written to? To the who? The saints who are in Colossae. We talked about who, what are saints? Believers. But they're simply the word means set apart. Those that are set apart to be sanctified, to be sanctified is to set apart. And you're set apart in this sense, when we think about it, we're thinking about it in a sense of a religious and moral context, we're set apart for holiness. Okay? It's been set aside, or it's been, it's been set apart for a holy purpose. We are sanctified. Now there's also the sense of we are, sec- we are sanctified or set apart for the purpose of eliminating that which is incompatible with what is holy and pure. So that's the sense of we're being sanctified now. So we're sanctified when we come into Christ. We're set apart. We're being sanctified even now, being purified, being made new. So why? In the future and in eternity, we will set apart in God's presence. We'll be His church. New body. You know, I, I. Yeah, new, new body. You know, you know, when I come to, it, I think, yeah, I think probably sanctified new body. You could also go to, uh, you know, regen- regenerated too, right? Glorified. Glor- glorified body. A lot of, a lot of these terms, we're going to say, well, they could maybe sit into a couple different categories. I try. And that, and that new body is in, is, in, is in the Bible. So when you see, what I want to get at today is, when you see different terms in the Bible for salvation, think through, categorize. What does that mean? Don't just blow by it. Stop. Stop down and say, what is this saying about who I am in Christ and what He has done? It's, it's not just, it's, it's, not a, it's not a monochromatic issue, salvation. There's many colors, many hues. Many beauties. Justify. That's what, so that's, uh, to set apart. That's a change in locale, what group I'm a part of. There's probably a math term for that, right? Where I'm, I'm group A and now I'm in group B, right? And we talked about a little bit right now, we talked about this uh, issue of sanctified. What was the picture we drew? Right? Remember that? We had one, the two circles overlapped and we kind of put ourselves here in the middle. Christ. And you could say Colossae here or, or, or Dallas. Well, yeah, in Christ we're sanctified. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this middle being sanctified where the circles overlap. 
I'm saying we're going this way. Right now we're here and here, and also there'll be a f- complete future in Christ. Now, there's just ways to think about it. There's, there's no perfect analogy. But these are all good things to help us gain the fullness of what has been done in the preeminent work of Christ. Justified. That's a what word? That is a legal word, right? It is a uh, uh, to declare just, to declare righteous. righteous. It is a legal declaration. It is, a, it is something forensic. Okay? I'm not righteous. Okay? I'm not. But in Christ, I stand righteous. And I am justified based on Christ's work. It is His righteousness that's put to my account. Well, when I say it that way, now I'm back up to this forgiveness issue, right? It's His righteousness laid to my account because I'm in debt. Romans 3, verses 20, 24, 26, and 28, walk right through it. And then He summarizes in verse 33 where He says what? He says, who can bring any charge against God's elect? Well, a lot of people can bring the charge. There's a lot of charges to bring against Dave Schlemme. But it is Christ who justifies. He's declaring righteous. If I don't stand on my own, I stand behind Christ. It's in Him I am saved. So this is, how about a legal status? You know, a change in legal status. Right? Well, we come to today. We come to reconciled. Alright? Reconciled. Paul could have chosen... All, or he could have chosen any one, he could have chosen a, co- a combination, but he didn't. He chose his, you have been reconciled in Christ. Okay? He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh. Why did he choose reconciliation? What do you think? Separated. Separated. Yep, from what? We were separated from God? You reconcile it. Now we're back to the, the debt sense of that word, right? Um, to transfer from one state to another. Not only to transfer from one state to another, to transfer from, from one state of being to another quite different state of being is to be reconciled. All right? Uh, who said relational? This is a relational word. It is a relational word. Our relationship with God changes. Our relationship with God changes. Okay? And this is now. Right? Our minds were what? Hostile. They were alienated. But by Christ's sacrifice, Christ's work, when we we used to be unfavorably disposed to God, we are now favorably disposed to God. All right. By Christ's sacrifice, we are brought into God's favor. God does the reconciling. We are unable. We are hostile. We cannot change our own condition. Our former status was what? Formerly we were, what are the words? Enemies. Enemies. Dead in our transgressions. Alienated. Hostile. Pardon? We were conflicted with God before, right? But now we are friends of God, right? Not only friends of God, we're brothers of God. When was the last time man stood in right relationship with God? 
the Garden of Eden. Eden. Right? Well, well, tell me about the Garden of Eden. Tell me about the Garden of Eden. It was a mythical place in a comic book, right? Is that right? Is that where the Garden of Eden? Is that where the Garden of Eden was? Tell me about the Garden of Eden. What was it? It was a real place. Okay? And man had a real body. We talked about last week, no belly button, but he had a real body. All right? And God came in the cool of the evening, and what did he do? He walked with him. He had a relationship with him. You know, I think what's interesting about that, though, is what did we learn about God last week? What did we learn about God last week? What was the question? What is God? God is spirit and? Does not have a body like you and I. I'm pointing at my daughter. She's supposed to answer that question. Like When she was four years old, she used to know the answer. That's right. She did quietly, right? And, uh, and while we're there, what was question, what's the other question in the catechism? It says what? Can I see God? Answer? I cannot see God, but He can always see me. Right? But you know what? In His Son, Jesus Christ, um, we can see God. Jesus said what? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father and His character and His actions. And also, Thomas, reach out your hand. Touch the scar on my hand. Put your hand in my side. There will come a day we can see God. We will see the living, the second person of Christ. And quite frankly, I really think that's that's what's special about this. Okay? Because Christ reconciled us back to the condition that we were meant to be in. But even the, the, the condition we were meant to be in wasn't as full as it could possibly be. Okay? It wasn't as full as it could possibly be. Paul has laid out the idea of the God's reconciling the world to himself. It's Christ's death that does it. The preeminent being, the Son, and all that was needed to restore this peace, this peace that we looked at in verse 20, the peace with us now was accomplished in the work of Christ. Okay? Paul's drilling down here. He's coming to his church. He's coming to his people. And he's going to say why we can be reconciled. All right? Think about it. In Christ, we've been restored to God relationally. And quite frankly, we have a physical relationship with God now. Adam, when God came and walked with him, there's a sense of spirit, there's a sense of otherness. When Christ in his death, when he died, he restored us back to that right relationship. And there's a physical dimension to that now. Margaret? I don't want to get off track, but I just had a thought there. Adam was alive spiritually. So was he either spiritually walking and talking with the Lord, or was this a pre-incarnate Christ that was physical in the garden? We don't know. But I just thought, you know, I had never thought of I, I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I, 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 that's right. I think when we see the manifestation of Yahweh in the Old Testament, it doesn't say it, but every, it's a sense of it's always the angel of the Lord or this something being. There, there's something there in that trinity that it is a mystery. But there's something there in that. All right? And he was alive spiritually. That's right. 
He could really walk and talk and enjoy the communion with, with, with Yahweh. And in the future, in the garden restored, in the new heaven, in the new earth, with the new Adam, with the, with the Adam that is truly the, 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 the completion of Adam, Jesus Christ, we'll have that relationship. We'll have a body, a risen body, just like Christ. I mean, we've been reconciled, guys. I mean, that, we have been, and I think, remember, what's Paul, what's Paul, what is the heresy that Paul is fighting, we think? What is evil? Where does evil come from? The flesh, the body, the material. And Paul's saying, <laughs> you got it wrong. It is the body, the incarnate Christ, that has reconciled you. He, and not only did he did it, he did it by the vile thing called death. You were alienated. You were hostile. And not only were you alien and hostile in your mind, but you were doing evil things, what? With your body. That's the condition we are in. But now, but now, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh, not some weird spirit being, special thing, descended or elevated, some in His body of flesh by His death, you have been reconciled to God. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. A husband is restored to right relationship with his wife, right? Reconciled. We are restored to right relationship with God. We were at enmity, now we're at peace. We are reconciled in the past, it was finished. Okay? But it's going to be realized in the future when the creation, the creation that's groaning, is revealed. Romans 8. Okay? Is already not yet tension. We're stuck with these bodies, but there is a future. Now, what is he going to do? Why? Why did he reconcile us? He kind of talked about it, but what is Paul? He gives some words there. What does he say? In order to what? Presents you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Holy, to be set apart, separated from sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's read that real quick. Let me have the right verse here. For our sake, He was made to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Holy set apart, separate from sin. Blameless. No blemish. No blemish in our character and no blemish in our what? Our body. Okay? And what? Above reproach. They, they, in the future, in, in, in the realization of that reconciliation, there won't be even any reproach that people can bring against us. There'll be no cause, right? And even now, because we're justified, right? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Nobody. It is God who justifies. So we stand declared above reproach. There'll be a time in the future when we're above reproach in our character and in our being. But just so we're real clear, 
where we found where we found uh, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Where where are we found that in that condition? Right there in the text. No trick questions here. There's no mysteries in this class. Where are we found above reproach? Before Him. Right. I got plenty of reproach right now. I got plenty of blame right now. Okay. There's there's just some problems. But before God, but before Christ, before the Father, maybe before God, I am found holy, blameless, and above reproach because I am in Christ. Okay, that, that, that's, a, that's a great thing, folks. That is a, they're, they're, I mean, these verses, I mean, Paul is packing it in. I mean, he's, he is packing the stuff into the bag. You know, he, he is not messing around. Now, there's a conditional statement here. What's the conditional statement? If, if you continue in the faith. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. There's a condition. Okay? Do I believe in once saved? Always say, do I, do I believe in the perseverance of the saints? The answer is yes. Okay. Uh, what about the soils? What about the soils? What are the soils? First soil, rocks, path, not really soil, nothing happened. There's two soils, two and three, right? The first one's rocky, springs up with joy, and what? In the heat, it does what? What, is it, what does the plant do? Fades away. It doesn't stand fast. There's a soil that has thorns and thistles and the cares of life. What do they do? They choke it out and it fades away. Right? But there's a soil that the seed bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Miracle growth. Right? And that soil does not shift, or that seed in the soil does not shift in the hope of the gospel. Okay. Paul's concern for the Colossians in this letter is they continue in the true gospel, the true faith, not a different gospel. He is concerned with their perseverance. And he says, if you don't continue in the true gospel, if you turn to another gospel, you know, first part of the verse isn't going to happen. And I think the point is, it's a true warning. We don't lose our salvation, but those who are reconciled do stand firm and steadfast, not move from the hope of the gospel. There's a We've talked about this before in some other classes. We are reconciled by God, but our perseverance is evidencing of our continuing in the faith. Okay? We once were alienated. Now we're reconciled. He did that in order to present His holy blameless and above reproach. If indeed, if indeed we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not moving the hope of the gospel. That's the point. And Paul said, I didn't... Proclaim it in secret. It's not some mystery. I proclaim it to all creation. Now, did he go and speak to every last animal and person? No. 
Paul's speaking in hyperbole. But the point is, I didn't make it hidden. I proclaimed it everywhere. I did it in the markets. I did it in the synagogue. I did it in the rented halls. Right? I did it everywhere. There's nothing mysterious about this, folks. It's the gospel that you heard. Not something you haven't heard in some secret. This is the gospel. You persevere in that gospel. Don't try to find something else. Persevere in this gospel and remain stable, steadfast. Continue in the faith. Don't move from the gospel. We persevere, continuing in the faith. And we're preserved because He has reconciled us. You can jot those verses down. They're real warnings. Okay? I think they're real warnings. But it is He who saves. He who justifies. Just take the tension where it's at. Don't try to reconcile, well, who's Paul writing to, or who's this is reading, or who's in it. What Paul's saying is this. You continue in the gospel. You persevere. You look to Christ. You count on Him and Him alone, the preeminent person of Christ, the preeminent work of Christ. And you know what? He'll preserve you. You will not fall. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here we are again, right? This is in Philippians. Paul's writing to the Philippians. He's not with them. He's not with the Colossians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remain stable. Remain steadfast. Don't shift in the hope of the gospel. Work it out with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you. He has reconciled you in His body of flesh. He did it to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach, both to His will and He's doing it to His work for His good pleasure. Paul's message is consistent. It is the supremacy of Jesus Christ and His person. It is the supremacy of Jesus Christ and His work that we stand complete. That's it. Pretty simple. We can probably, I mean, if you, if you can't make it to any other class, so to speak, you know, verses 15 through 23, memorize it. Know it. He is the image of the invisible God, the first one over all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, or dominions, rulers, or powers, all things are created by Him and for Him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the first one from the dead, so in everything... He might be preeminent, for in Him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile Himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of His Christ. And you, and you, who once alien and hostile mind, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. And you were doing evil deeds, but He's done it. He's reconciled you in order to present you wholly blameless and above reproach. Why? So that He can present you before His Father. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, continue in the faith. Don't be shifted from the gospel that you heard. It's being proclaimed to all creation. It's not a secret. It's right here. Right? And He will present you before God. That's it. Done. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank You so much for the work of Your Son, Jesus Christ. It is a marvelous, marvelous thing. Lord, we bow our knee before you. 
And uh, we, we humbly, humbly just stand in awe at the marvelous work of your son Jesus Christ and all that accomplished. We weren't part of your family. We are, we're, we are now part of your family. We've been set apart. We've been declared, legally declared righteous. We, have, we were dead. We've been made alive. We are outside of a relationship with you. You have brought us in a right relationship with you. We enjoy the very uh, fellowship of the Father. Lord, go with us this week. Might these truths impact us in the way we live so we live in a way that is pleasing to you and glorifying to you in all that we do. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.